Fifteen years ago this month, the Cato Institute launched the Cato Daily Podcast, and to mark the occasion, we're hoping to give you a token of our appreciation and ask a small favor. Visit cato.org slash cdp15 to get a pair of vinyl Cato Daily Podcast stickers in the mail and give one of them to a friend who might enjoy timely libertarian perspectives on issues of the day. That website, again, is cato.org slash cdp15. And now more than ever, thank you for listening. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 26, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Odds are good that you've given away lots of data about yourself on various apps on your smartphone, so you wouldn't have a problem if the government bought that data, would you? Cato's Julian Sanchez and Patrick Eddington detail some of the problems with the government merely purchasing data about Americans. The three of us know that the government really shouldn't be spying on Americans, people with certain constitutional rights without a warrant. Uh, And yet we have become aware on several occasions that uh, the feds have been simply purchasing this data that Americans give away freely to uh, fast food apps like McDonald's and Popeye's and any number of other, other things. And my thought is, well, you know, good on you guys for just paying for the data that we're just giving away. But how ought we to think about the government making use of this data that's freely available that, you know, publications like the New York Times have purchased to show us a picture of something uh, occurring out in public. How 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 should we think about the government purchasing that data and making use of it? You know, one thing I think that's worth noting is that the federal statute governing Uh, electronic surveillance for criminal investigative purposes, that's the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, uh, specifically lays out rules for uh, the acquisition by the government of uh, non-content information, uh, what's often called metadata. Um, So things like the information about a phone conversation, but also often uh, quite detailed location information that's Uh, generated by cell phones and by a lot of apps that use location. Uh, And that statute essentially says um, this kind of non-content information may be shared by communications providers um, with other private entities, um, which often have a legitimate reason to be interested in, especially aggregate uh, information of of that sort, um, but prohibits them from uh, sharing it directly with the government without uh, a court order. Um, The idea was clear that, look, when the government gets this kind of information, the intention of Congress was um, they're supposed to go through uh, the the particular process laid out and and obtain judicial authorization. And, uh, you know, essentially what what increasingly is happening is they've exploited a loophole here where the the statute says, well, communication service providers, electronic communication service providers, and what the law calls remote computing service providers, um, can't share this directly with the government. But whoops, if you pass it off to another third-party private entity, a data broker, um, that is not itself a communications provider, well, they're not covered by that legal requirement, and then the government can can get the information from them. So, you know, I think, I think it ought to be a little dismaying that, you know, Congress pretty clearly had an intent that they expressed for how the government should go about obtaining this, these categories of information. Uh, and, you know, and because of, of the rise of these third party data brokers, perhaps, um, you know, the authors of a statute written in the, in the mid 80s to, didn't anticipate uh, in, in the form it currently exists, 
um, that rule is being circumvented. Uh, this is a, you know, pretty transparently an end run uh, around limitations Congress tried to impose. All right. So Pat Julian has established the data broker loophole for federal surveillance. Should we close the data broker loophole? Because I can imagine federal intelligence agencies or people at the Pentagon saying, oh, no, no, we can't. You close this loophole, we're going to go dark. <laughs> you close you close this data broker loophole. Yeah. Look, we do good things with that information. Yes. Many lives are have been saved with yes. the information that's been provided by these data brokers. Real patriots for the yeah. most part. You know, if this is an end run around the the intent of the law, should that loophole just be closed? Well, I would I would suggest that the entire third party doctrine should be um, rejected by the Supreme Court. That would be that would be my that would be my macro solution to all of this. But sure, I mean, you know, what what Julian has described here is actually the subject uh, of the letter that uh, Senator Wyden sent over to DOD on May 13th, and it was the uh, subject of this this Vice news piece that kind of got us all going on this. Whereby, and this is literally just from the first uh, the first bullet point that. Wyden has in his letter, uh, DIA, that's be the Defense Intelligence Agency, recently informed my office that they have adopted the position that the Fourth Amendment and the Supreme Court holdings in the Carpenter case, and we can talk about that case in a moment, do not apply to data about Americans that the government buys and only apply to data that the government acquires via compulsion. Um, the Carpenter case, of course, I think, and Julian will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was from 2017, where the court essentially said that someone's... Uh, uh, cell phone related uh, data and specifically here uh, location related data is not something that can be um, uh, essentially acquired outside of a Fourth Amendment related process uh, in court. And what DOD has done here, uh, and certainly if DIA is doing this, it, it means that other components are almost certainly doing it as well, is basically taking the position that no, 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 this is stuff we can just buy. You know, we're we're good to go here. There, there's really you know nothing to see. Let's just all move along. And so what Wyden is doing, and he has legislation uh, specifically called the Fourth Amendment is not for sale Act, uh, which is designed to basically shut down this kind of capability. Obviously, this the, if the legislation were passed, it wouldn't just apply to DOD. It would apply across the board to pretty much every federal uh, agency and department. What I think is important to kind of focus on here um, is that this particular issue involves a DOD directive, DOD Directive 5240.01, which is the overarching directive that governs intelligence collection by the Department of Defense. And we don't have time in this particular podcast for me to go into you know all the details on this thing. But if you actually were to go online and take a look at this 56-page uh, DOD directive, they have given themselves quite a few carve-outs here to collect data uh, on Americans, particularly overseas, uh, oftentimes uh, using the phrase uh, incidental collection, uh, things of that nature. So this is just one authority, by the way, under which DOD can try to collect data on Americans. Uh, during the George Floyd protest, uh, we learned only in August of last year, essentially, that they had used uh, Air Force RC-26B uh, intelligence collection aircraft over in multiple American cities, utilizing both electro-optical and infrared imagery to try to keep track of protesters. So it, there's just a lot in play here with respect to DOD, uh, potential DOD intelligence collection. And uh, I'm imagining, uh, you know, when we look at our maps on our phones and we see a blue dot that represents us, I'm imagining uh, a, a federal agency or the DOD 
seeing hundreds of blue dots moving in concert down a city street at a particular time and uh, making connections that no other, no individual within those groups could ever make about uh, and drawing conclusions about those associations. That is, I participated in a protest 40 feet from this really bad guy. What does that say about me? What could the government conclude about me based upon that information? It, it, it seems that this is a, a problem that uh, obviously Ron Wyden uh, wants to highlight and some other members of Congress want to highlight, but uh, Americans, for the most part, don't really seem to care that much. You know, I, I I think it may just be that Americans don't know that much. I think, you know, usually we, uh, you know, use something like Google Maps or any app that has some kind of location functionality. Uh, and we think of this as something that is, uh, you know, fundamentally being used by that company. And maybe we say, well, I'm willing to let Google know, um, you know, my location for the purpose of providing me with the service uh, and are a lot less conscious uh, that. Uh, often that data is being bundled and uh, and sold off to other parties. It's you know often uh, referenced in some oblique way, and the you know on page twenty eight of a of a, an impenetrable legalese terms of service agreement. Um, but it doesn't doesn't make it particularly transparent what those data flows look like. Um, I should note, you know, it's not just protesters. There are um, uh, you know concerns. I think about targeting of of, of particular religious and racial groups. Um, a couple of the apps that we know. Uh, the military has been acquiring location information from include a, a Muslim prayer app called Muslim Pro uh, and a Muslim dating app called Muslim Mingle. Um, so, uh, you know, part of the chilling effect here is that there are particular, uh, you know, applications that are targeting particular groups. Um, and those seem to be ones that the government has a particular, a particular interest in, in a way I think it's, is, uh, is unsettling. Uh, now, of course, often the kind of data we're talking about is anonymized because often, you know, data brokers are are dealing with companies that are interested in this in this kind of information in the aggregate. You know, they want to know things about uh, patterns of movement for for various reasons, as opposed to trying to track an individual. But the thing about location data is that, in effect, it can't really be fully anonymized unless it is completely aggregated. Um, you know, uh, you don't have to put my name on a, a location data stream to see, oh well, uh, who is this person that lives at Julian's house or, or, you know, goes to sleep at Julian's house uh, and then goes to work at the Cato Institute. Um, it's at, at the end of the day, it is inherently identifiable. And there are, of course, methods um, that folks have developed to try to essentially de-anonymize folks. Um, and in fact, there's a, there's quite a bit of literature, you know, on that particular project. But I do think this is a good time to point out that at Cato, we're not sitting on the sidelines on this. Uh, earlier this month, we filed a, a lawsuit in federal court a FOIA Freedom of Information Act lawsuit uh, that pertains to DOD Directive 5200.27. I, I love all these these numbers. Um, it's just another one of these bureaucratic things. But in essence, that particular directive has been around since the Vietnam era, and it was actually utilized as the authority during the Vietnam War to uh, spy on the National Lawyers Guild and other organizations that were basically trying to assist service members uh, to get out of the draft or to file for conscientious objective status, et cetera, et cetera. And more recently, uh, in the Bush 43 administration, that authority was utilized to spy on protesters, uh, anti-war protesters, anti-nuclear protesters. This kind of data was uh, essentially compiled, and there was ultimately a DODIG report on this. And supposedly, that particular program, uh, which took place under 
the so-called counterintelligence field activity, uh, the Talon program, was allegedly set, shut down in 2007. Uh, I strongly suspect um, that it was resurrected in some fashion uh, and simply rebranded in some way. So that's the, the, one of the reasons why we've got this lawsuit in. So a couple other features of the Wyden bill, I think, are, are, are worth commenting on. Uh, we talked about uh, location information, which is one kind of communications metadata um, that is you know, really clearly meant to be covered by the uh, the structure of the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. And so um, this sort of closes that loophole of pass it off to a third party and then give it to the government. Um, but it also uh, bars uh, commercial acquisition of uh, information that is obtained, uh, what the bill calls illegitimately or in violation of uh, the terms of service of a website. And this is pretty clearly directed at companies like Clearview AI, which um, in violation of the policies of so social media companies and platforms, um, essentially scrape data from those websites, amassing this large database of uh, photographs of individuals, which could then be used um, to essentially do face recognition. You take a photo and then you track it to uh, the individual that corresponds to. You know, of course, law enforcement intelligence agencies have become extremely interested in that. Uh, and so the idea here is, look, um, you know, this is a database often built, again, in, in, in sort of violation of the expectations of privacy created by platforms that say you're not allowed to scrape us for um, purposes like this, uh, and that the government can't essentially um, acquire uh, indirectly uh, stuff that in, in ways that would be uh, illegitimate for it to directly, although how how exactly that will end up being interpreted is sort of an open question. Uh, presumably, they're going to have to now make a determination when information has been acquired in violation of uh, you know, the terms of service of potentially a whole lot of different sites. Uh, one one other thing worth mentioning, though, is uh, that this uh, legislation also closes an important loophole uh, that exists in the a different important loophole that exists uh, in the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which in, uh, there's a, a, a section called 2511 um, that carves out from the Electronic Communications Privacy Act um, the acquisition of foreign intelligence information from international or foreign communications networks that uh, does not constitute electronic surveillance. So uh, there's a definition of electronic surveillance under the Foreign Intelligence uh, Surveillance Act that covers things like the acquisition of contents of a communication. But obtaining things like location data or other kinds of communications metadata um, does not, under, in, in terms of the statute, qualifies electronic surveillance. So what this little carve out that was went really unnoticed, I think, um, by, by privacy uh, folks, at least for quite a while, is say, look, if you're doing this for foreign intelligence purposes, um, then you don't actually have to follow the ECPA rules. Um, but if it's not electronic surveillance, you, you may not have to follow the normal FISA rules either. You may just be able to ask uh, the telecommunications company, hey, we'd like you to hand over this data um, because there's this foreign intelligence carve out um, without actually going through the process of compelling that data. And so the Wyden bill also says, um, look, you know, th that's not going to fly anymore. Um, there's still the carve out. There's still the uh, the, the ECPA uh, criminal surveillance statute does not govern foreign intelligence surveillance. Um, but the carve out is now limited to collection pursuant to an express statutory authority. So um, if you want to get this data for foreign intelligence purposes, you can do that, but you've got to use the process spelled out in the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Um, you can't just sort of say, hey, we'd like you to hang, uh, you know, hand over uh, this data uh, without us having to go through judicial approval. 
Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow at Cato. This month marks the 15th anniversary of the Cato Daily Podcast. In appreciation to our listeners, we have a small gift for you. Visit cato.org slash cdp15 to learn more.